Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will give a, get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, a number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. And you can send messages to the show at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. And while you're there on Twitter, at GoForItGant, make sure you follow me at G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T, and that's GoForItGant. Great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by Hall of Famer Willie Rofe, and we're going to get his take on what he saw in Super Bowl Forty-Eight and how it all transpired and how it all went down. Because what went down in Super Bowl Forty-Eight? I didn't expect it. Many did not expect it. I don't think anybody had the score forty-three to eight. And if you'd had the score forty-three to eight, kudos to you. You should be at Vegas on a nightly basis. You should be playing the lottery on a nightly basis. Because as far as I'm concerned, no one had that score forty-three to eight. I mean, who knew? that the Seahawks' defense was going to hold that Broncos' offense to eight points. No one had shut down that Bronco offense throughout the course of the season. No one. I mean, this Broncos' offense was, you know, historical. No one shut down this Broncos' offense. No one. And this is an offense in the course of the regular season their lowest output in terms of points was 20 points. Their lowest output output in terms of points per, in terms of points in the game was 20. 20. Well, they only scored three. I mean, they scored eight. And you were wondering as you were watching that game whether they wouldn't they would score at all. And here's the funny thing: we had a Demetrius Gross, one of the stars of Banshee, which airs on Cinemax. And Demetrius said that he had Seattle winning this game by 10 points. And at the time, I, I, I thought he was crazy. I, I thought he was crazy at the time. I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think that was going to be possible, that the Denver Broncos, a team that the most they lost by during the course of the season was seven points. So they haven't lost the game. With, they haven't been, in terms of losing the game, all single-digit losses. All single-digit losses. So when Demetrius Gross said 10-point victory, 10-point spread for the Seahawks, I thought he was crazy. I guess it turns out 
I'm the crazy one. <laughs> but you look at that game, and, and, and let's, let's just look at this game. And, you know, throughout the course of the show, we're going to talk about the legacy of Peyton Manning. Where is his legacy at at this point in time? After losing his 12th postseason game, after being after uh, falling to 11 and 12 in the postseason, so we're going to touch on that. Can the Seahawks repeat? Do they have what it takes to repeat? We'll touch on that as well. So we'll get to that. Where does this Seahawks defense rank in terms of the all-time greats? Is it better than the '85 Bears? Better than the 2000 Ravens? We're going to compare. That Ravens, this uh, Seahawks defense to that defense, excuse me, to that Ravens defense, and we're going to compare it to the '85 Bears. You'll be surprised how close it really is. So we'll get to all that, but let's start with the game now. And obviously, coming into this game, the talk throughout the course of the Super Bowl was weather. Was weather? Was it going to be so cold? Peyton Manning in the cold weather. Was it going to be too cold for Manning? And then you know, as we go up to game time, we realize that the weather would not be a factor. It was in the high 40s at game time, at kickoff. So it was at high 40s. And so the weather really wasn't a factor. You saw that whole situation play out, you know, earlier in the week. It was cold, bitterly cold in New York City, absolutely cold. It was just ridiculous. And then as the week progressed, it warmed up a little bit. But when you were earlier in that week, you were saying, oh, my goodness, cold weather Super Bowl favor the Seattle Seahawks. And then we got to Sunday, and the weather turned around, ironically enough. If the Super Bowl was played on Monday, we probably would be having a different conversation in terms of the weather because it was a mess the next day. A lot of people had trouble getting out of New York City. But anyway, the weather shaped up and was good for the Denver Broncos. It turned out to be very good, and you said everything, the stars are aligning for the Denver Broncos to win this Super Bowl weather not a factor at all. And then we go into the game. The first snap, <laughs> the, 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 the snap goes over Peyton Manning's head, through the end zone, just like that, 2 nothing. Seahawks, Seahawks get the ball. They march down, they kick a field goal, it's 5 nothing. 5 nothing. you're saying, okay, still 5 nothing. Broncos hold them, tell them to a field, a field goal, there's still a lot of football to be played. Then the Seahawks stop the Broncos again. Seahawks going down, kick another field goal. Now it's 8 nothing. At that point, you're saying, okay, Seahawks stopping the Broncos' offense, but they're only kicking field goals. It's 8 nothing. And then the, probably the biggest play of the game, one of the biggest plays of the game, Peyton Manning overthrows his receiver, picked off Camp Chancellor, Eight nothing at that point. Seahawks get the pick. Now they're in business again. This time it was that third down, the big third down play. Russell Wilson rolls out uh, Tony Carter with the pass interference penalty in the end zone. And at that point, if the Broncos got the stop there instead of fifteen nothing, what it turned out to be after Marshawn Lynch's touchdown, it could have been eleven nothing if the Broncos were able to hold eleven nothing again. Two turnovers. I mean, you still have the, you have the pick, the one turnover, I should say, but at that point, still kicking field goals. But that wasn't the case, ultimately. The Seahawks would cash in. And that's what I tweeted out. 
That's what I headed to Twitter. Twitter.com slash go for again. I headed to Twitter and I said at that point, this game is over. It was my belief at that point in time, at that point in time, 15 to nothing in the second quarter, it was my belief that the football game was over. It was over. And that was early. That was early. And I made the decision at that point. I I realized, I mean, I was calling it. I was calling the game. I said here. I tweeted out. Seahawks score a touchdown here. It's over. And they scored a touchdown to make it 15-0. And it was my belief at that point in time that the game was over. And I was right. But ultimately, Malcolm Smith's interception really made it 22 to nothing. And at that point, I knew it was over. I definitively knew it was over. And then after Percy Harvin had the kickoff return, we all knew it was over. And that made it 29 to nothing at that point in time. But it was obviously a total surprise, a total shock, what we saw in that particular game. It was a shock. I mean, an absolute shock at what we saw. I mean, the, the, the Broncos were manhandled and beat down by the Seahawks' defense. The Seahawks looked Seahawks look bigger, stronger, faster than the Denver Broncos in that particular game. It was not even close. It was not even close. I mean, Peyton Manning, Look ordinary. They got pressure on Peyton Manning. Didn't blitz that much, but that front four got some pressure on Peyton Manning, Averill, Chris Clemens. You know, they they got pressure on Peyton Manning, and he looked uncomfortable there in that pocket. He, he didn't look comfortable. They got pressure on him. They got in his face, stayed in his face throughout the course of that game. And that was big. Because obviously, Peyton Manning looked awfully comfortable in these playoffs. Looked awfully comfortable against San Diego. Looked awfully comfortable against the New England Patriots. But against the Seahawks, not as comfortable. He was not comfortable at all against the Seahawks. And that front four did a good job of keeping pressure on Peyton Manning. And that was one of the big things in this game. But I, I tell you this. If I, I'm about to read you a stat line here, and if I read you the stat line going into this game, you probably would have said that the Denver Broncos would have won this Super Bowl. Here's the stat line that, that jumped out to me in terms of, wow, this is not what I expected to happen. This is not what I expected to see. And also, I didn't expect the Seahawks to be on top with this stat being what this stat was. Marshawn Lynch, 15 carries, 39 yards, and a touch. If I read you that stat line and told you that stat line 
right after the game, and you never watched one single minute of that game, you would say to yourself, the Denver Broncos probably won that Super Bowl in convincing fashion. And the talk going into the Super Bowl was, okay, beast mode, beast mode. What are they going to do with beast mode? If they shut down beast mode, what does Seattle do next? But it wasn't a factor. I mean, at the end of the day, even though Marshawn Lynch ended up with only 39 yards, you had Percy Harvin, who was just, they, they unwrapped Percy Harvin in this game, and he had two carries for 45 yards. And, you know, two other guys, 26 and 25 yards, respectively. But the bottom line is this, Russell Wilson with 26 yards and then Robert Turbin with 25 yards. But the bottom line is this, at the end of the day, it put the Seahawks over 135 yards rushing, put them over 100 yards rushing at 135. At the end of the day. But the bottom line is this, this game came down to that Seahawks defense being big time. And they have been big time throughout the course of this whole season. And they've been big time throughout the course of these playoffs. And they were big, obviously, against the Denver Broncos. They were big. I mean, let, let, let me, let's not get me wrong. Let's not get anything wrong here. I, I, I thought that the Seahawks defense would play well in this game. I mean, my final score was going to be my final score was Broncos 23, Seahawks 20. So you hold the Broncos to that to that point total, you're probably you're doing a good job. You're defending, you're definitely doing a good job if you hold the Broncos to that point total of 20 points, which I 23 points, which I predicted. Because this was a team that averaged 37 points per game. This was an offensive juggernaut, an offensive juggernaut. And before we get out of here, I'm going to tell you why I think maybe last year was the Broncos' real chance of winning a Super Bowl. The 2012 Broncos, maybe that was the Broncos' real chance of winning a Super Bowl, but I'll get to that later in the show. But anyway, so this was an offensive that put up all kind of numbers. A quarterback who put up all kind of crazy numbers. But ultimately, as we watched the game, we saw the dominance of the Seattle Seahawks. We saw a football team that was better. And I realized after watching the Super Bowl that the real Super Bowl really was two weeks ago in Seattle when the 49ers were playing the Seahawks. Those two, those two teams probably were the best two teams in football. Those two teams were probably the best two teams in football. And I look at that game, and I was walking away from that game thinking to myself, the 49ers, I, I, thinking to myself, felt like the better team didn't win. That was my mindset walking out of that game when I was comparing the 49ers and the Seahawks, just the way the game transpired, the way the game ultimately ended. I just walked out of there with the mindset and the belief that the best team didn't win. Obviously now, as I, as I look back on it, it it's kind of hard to say that the best team didn't win in terms of this Super Bowl. I mean, it, it's just kind of hard to say otherwise with this type of performance. 
I mean, this was a dominating performance. This was the type of performance that we'll be talking about for, for years to come. I mean, this defense and where it stacks up in history, history might be talking and, – and coming to this game, you know, I, I, I wasn't as big on the Seahawks defense as I am now. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, in love with the Seahawks the way a lot of – Seahawks defense the way a lot of people were coming into this game. But guess what? I started to look at the numbers. And let me just do this, to you, do, do this to you real fast. Looking at the numbers over the years and comparing the Baltimore Ravens defense of 2085 Bears of 80, you know, 1985 and ultimately the 2013 Seahawks. In terms of points per game, Seahawks were last in terms of points per game in terms of these three teams. You had the Ravens, who was the best, at 10.3 points per game, the 85 Bears at 12.4 points per game, and then the Seahawks, at 14.4 points per game. That's pretty impressive for the Seahawks. I mean, impressive for all these teams. But you look at the rules now, and you have to say, okay, maybe. I mean, you, you think about it differently in terms of the new rules and in terms of the way the game is played. Also, let's look at opponent's yards per game. The Ravens, 247 yards per game. 85 Bears, 258 yards per game. And the Seahawks, 273 yards per game. Again, there's a... 16-yard, was it? Uh, my math is all messed up. Uh, more than 16. It's about 27-yard, 26-yard difference between the Ravens of 2000 and the 13, 2013 Seahawks and also a 15-yard difference between the 2013 Seahawks and 85 Bears. I mean, yards per game is, is kind of a useless stat in a lot of ways because at the end of the day it comes down to scoring. But Seahawks are not that far behind in considering the new rules something to think about. And in terms of takeaways, 85 Bears, 54, 2,000 Ravens, 49, and the 2013 Seahawks, 39 takeaways. So, I mean, obviously the Bears lead in that particular category. But I, I, I look at these three defenses, and I say the 85 Bears still sticks out to me because, you know, they went through the playoffs that year, and they shut out two teams in the playoffs. They only gave up 10 points and three games in the playoffs. So the 85 Bears, to me, have that impact, and, and they stick out more so than, than those other two defenses. But those other two defenses are very good defenses. Let's bring in a guy now, Hall of Famer, done it big throughout the course of his career. He was in New York City. Let's bring him in now, the one, the only, Hall of Famer, Willie Rofe. Willie. And, 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 and another thing, Paul, uh, uh, the '85 Bears and the Ravens couldn't 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 repeat and 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 weren't that young like these guys. These right. guys are talking about repeating, man. I mean, and and really, really, if you look at the team the way it's structured right now, because you don't have any guys that you know. I think they're gonna lose some guys when they, when the contracts come up. But right now, I mean, they they're gonna they're gonna have a chance to make a run for a few years, but they they really. They do have a chance to repeat. Well, the last time last team to repeat was uh, the Broncos, 97-98. And before that, what was it, the Dallas Cowboys? Well, actually, the Patriots. The Patriots were, did it in 2003-2004. Uh, yeah, the Patriots, and then the Broncos yeah. before them. Yeah. But, I, I, I mean, you look at this team, and here's the thing. Here's, a, here's a, the great thing for the Seahawks. They don't have to pay their quarterback because of the new CBA until the 
at the end of next year. So they're in good position in terms of not having to pay their quarterback. Richard Sherman and, and Earl Thomas are locked up, but at some point you're going to have to pay those guys, and it might come now, but you're going to definitely have to pay those guys. Ultimately, I think next year they'll be good. The following year should be interesting. Should be interesting in terms of their cap situation. But here's the thing: you, you talk about you talk about repeating, and repeating is so much harder than actually winning the Super Bowl for the first time because everything still has to shake out good for you. Everything still has to be good in terms of uh, you know being healthy. In terms of all those things, all those things have to be good for you. You know, having the same type of team chemistry, so on and so forth. You still have to have all those things to repeat. I mean, so it, it's definitely possible. <laughs> Paul, what about them? What about them saying they knew what Peyton was doing? I mean, I mean, Peyton couldn't Peyton couldn't figure out figure out they know his hand signals. I mean, and if they know if they figured out what he was doing and where the signals were, then obviously the Broncos were at a disadvantage. But I mean, the coaches staff, nobody made an adjustment. I mean, I don't understand that. And you're right. I mean, you look at you figure. You know, obviously Peyton Manning being the guy that he is in terms of his smarts, and just everybody on that staff. I mean, we're, they're talking about they were talking about uh, Gay's Dolphins coordinator as possibly being a coaching candidate, a coaching candidate. So you would say, yeah, you would think that somebody would be able to figure out that you know what they they know what we're doing. We need to switch it up. And it looked like they knew what they were doing. It looked like they had twelve guys out on the field. <laughs> they seemed like that 12th man was out on the field for a I mean, it was, it was, it was, It was weird. I mean, I thought, and I tweeted this out on Twitter. I went on Twitter and I said, when it was 15 to nothing, I thought the game was over because I didn't see anything at the, out, you know, out of the Broncos in terms of what they could do. You look at Seattle, they just seemed bigger. They seemed stronger. They just seemed faster. It just seemed, I mean, it, 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 it seemed like they were. It's, it, I, don't, I don't know what happened, Paul, but it looked to me like Denver was flat. It looked like they were a step faster. Denver was flat, and Denver never got into the game. I don't know. I've never seen a team come out of the Super Bowl, and, and it, didn't, it didn't look like they had a chance, and it looked to me like they were just flat. Like they, I don't, I don't know if they were in a daze. I don't know what they were doing, but, but they were not, not competing. And I'm not on the level that they were competing at, and they, they, like said, they looked flat. They, they didn't look like they wanted to. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was weird. I mean, it was just, it was, it was surreal watching the game because you were saying at some point, okay, they get the safety. It's only two nothing. The Broncos will come back at some point. Then ultimately, kick a field goal. It's five nothing. You know, they kick another field goal. It's eight nothing. And you're still saying, okay. Seahawks are dominating the game, but it's only eight nothing. And then they get the interception on Manning by Cam Chancellor, and at that point, you're saying to yourself, if they can hold the Bronx, if they can hold the Seahawks to a field goal here, I think it's still a game. Me personally, but when I when they scored that 15 point, for whatever reason, I just didn't sense that the Broncos had they didn't have anything. They just was there was there was nothing. They, they just didn't have anything. It seemed like Seattle had them all figured out. It seemed like they were just going to give Peyton the stuff over under the, underneath and, and just, you know, tackle these guys, make sure they make the tackles. And they obviously got pressure on Peyton Manning. He didn't seem very comfortable there. And they just, it, was, it was dominant. It was just a dominating performance. And well, but, but, I don't I mean, think anyone just, saw just, that coming. 
But they would not know if they do the they throw that pick is fifteen and they they could do the chance to get back in the game, but it just it, you know, I mean we they couldn't do anything. I mean if they were Peyton, they were hitting Peyton's arms or you know, Peyton was threw some air balls or you know, the, the special teams. I mean they didn't, they didn't get a first down to the second quarter and, I mean I just I thought that the Denver would make a run and try to get in the game and try to make it competitive, or I would see a middle five of Peyton and Peyton going up to Richard Sherman after the game and talking about how good you are. I wouldn't have talked to nobody after that game. I wouldn't have wanted to talk to. I would. I would have been pissed. I wouldn't want to talk to nobody. I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, if you go get embarrassed like that in a Super Bowl, you know. I'm gonna want to go somewhere and sit on a rock. I mean, I you know, it's just I don't understand how you you know going out and want to hang out. You know, and right now I'm playing golf at Pebble Beach like nothing happened. You got you got embarrassed, and your legacy is there. You know, your legacy. I never got a chance to play the Super Bowl, and I know he's played in that one of the uh, Peyton's third or fourth one. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been wanting to be buddy buddy with nobody after that. And let's look at Peyton Manning now. This obviously people were talking about this guy going into this game. If he wins the Super Bowl, if he would have won the Super Bowl, a lot of people were saying he could have been the goat, the greatest of all time. No, he could have been. No, let's talk about that. Let's do that. I said that before. He's not in the greatest list, even if he had won the Super Bowl. Dan Marino was another guy that put a great, great record in the stats, but never won a Super Bowl. So just because Peyton Manning won and put up all these big numbers, if he didn't win the Super Bowl, if he won two, how can you say he's the best if he wins two and lost with not Latin, and you got guys like Joe Montana that's 4-0 and Bradshaw that's 4-0 in the Super Bowl. Let's look back at Bradshaw. People forget it. Bryce got off to a real rough start in his career. And they were talking about, you know, you know he's dumb. He, he's not going to be a good quarterback, you know, and this and that. And he turned it around, became a leader. And when he, when he came to the big game in the playoffs, the Steelers came to play. And I used to watch it. And it was competitive between them and the Cowboys back then. Not saying the competition wasn't as good as it is now, but. These guys wanted to be the best in the big games. And what I saw from the Broncos was a team that looked defeated, never got up off the canvas, and, and ultimately the leader of that team is Peyton Manning. So if he's content with that, then that's fine. I mean, I mean, and from what I'm saying, but I already told you that I didn't think he's in that category with those other quarterbacks. I always thought, and this is my opinion, I, I think John Elway is the best quarterback of all time because of some of the things he did in terms of getting those Broncos teams to the Super Bowl. And ultimately, he lost those first three times, but he got those teams to the Super Bowl, and those teams, quite frankly, had no business being there. And ultimately, he would break through with those two in a row before he went out. So I always thought he was the best of all time. And, and, and I think it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough argument because, obviously, you've you got to think about Bradshaw, as you said, with the four Super Bowls. Montana, of course four Super Bowls. Brady has to be up there with the three, of course. Dan Marino and the numbers he put up. I mean, Johnny Unitas. I mean, it's it's difficult to say who the best quarterback of all time is. 
You know, we're talking about Johnny Unitas and Bart Starks and those guys back in the day. You can't put Dan Marino up there. You can't put somebody up there because of regular season stats. Oh, you can't put Peyton Manning up there. Dan Marino never won. John Elway, he's, he's, he's underneath that tier. He's got two. He got two. He got destroyed by the 49ers in Los Angeles. How many did he lose? Three? Uh, he won three times. He lost to the Giants, and I believe he lost no, to the 49ers. No, 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 no. I'm talking about John Elway. John Elway won two. How many did he lose? He lost three before that, right? He lost three. He lost three, yeah. He lost three. Okay, thank you. So you can't – he went to five, but he got destroyed by John, John, John Martina in one, in one of them. So you said he, John Elway – well, I understand he was younger and John Martina was, was more of a vet in, in the football. But, I mean, they got destroyed by the 49ers. But, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, they got destroyed by the 49ers. Doug Williams beat them up, and then uh, the Giants beat them up the first time he went. But I don't think they necessarily were a good football team, and he carried them to those Super Bowls. He, and, that, and that's why I believe he's the greatest of all time, because he carried those guys to, to those three Super Bowls, and then he won two at the end there. To me, that's the, that to me was he is the greatest of all time. But, I, I mean, you can't argue with Montana, because he won four for four in the Super Bowl. Bradshaw either, for that matter. I mean, Tom Brady, he's up there as well. It, it's like I said, it's a, yeah, yeah, you got to Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Lately, you know, it, 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 it's, it's been going down some because he's got beaten by Eli in two, and then he got beaten by Peyton in the playoffs. So Tom Brady's been getting beat some before. New England was unstoppable for a while, too, uh, winning those three. But now they, Tom Brady's left to slow down. So, I mean, all these guys are big quarterbacks. I just, you know, I got to put Tom Brady, like I said before, a, a, a notch ahead of Peyton Manning. Uh, I understand Peyton beat him. But what Tom Brady was able to do with some no-name guys last year, nobody had ever heard of, still, to me, the season he had after that Super Bowl, Tom Brady had to make it to the AFC Championship. You wouldn't look at that roster and you look at the injuries he's had and what they were able to do. Uh, it, it, was, it was special what they did in New England last year. Definitely. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofe. Willie, I want to ask you about Russell Wilson now. I mean, this is a guy – who a lot of people have called a game manager, but I saw a guy in the Super Bowl who made a lot of plays, who, who kept a lot of drives alive, and ultimately threw for over 200 yards and had two touchdowns in that game, but it was a very good performance. But I also want to talk about a larger issue in terms of you got Wilson and, and, and Kaepernick and RG3, and all in all, in terms of the mobile quarterback. And, and now a lot of people are saying at this point with Russell Wilson breaking through that – in today's NFL, you need a mobile quarterback to win. And ultimately in the NFL, at the end of the day, you have to be able to throw in the pocket. That's at the end of the day. But with the way defenses are and the athleticism on the defensive side of football, I think it's safe to say you may need that added dimension of being able to move around. Your thoughts? Uh, I, would agree. I would agree with that against Seattle's defense. Against a defense like we're talking about, like the Ravens and those guys, you need a mobile quarterback because they're just not going to give up so many big plays. They're not going to let you get behind that defense the way they play, and they're going to make you make some plays uh, or, or run the football. So, you know, like I said, Kaepernick, was, that's why the 49ers were able to keep, to keep up with him because yeah. Kaepernick – to take off running the ball, so when everything broke down, he was able to make plays with his feet. And against those type of teams, 
you know, and it's not that many that are constructed like Seattle, but against that type of team, you need a mobile quarterback in that instance. So like against the Ravens, you would have had a quarterback that can move around. He would have had be able to make some plays. But when you got a guy like Peyton Manning, who's, like you said, a great quarterback, I mean, he was just sitting duck back there. You know, he couldn't, right. he couldn't make plays with his feet, and they knew it. And all they did was make – they made him make the plays. He throws a couple bad balls. I yeah. mean, it, like I said, it just, it just looked like they had, you know, obviously they had done a better job scouting and everything else. And, and, I don't, and you know what they say. You know, which we thought it was going to be as bad as Peyton. You gave Seattle two weeks to prepare, and uh, right. they got an A-plus on the test. And to to your point about Colin Kaepernick in that NFC Championship game, he had a 153 yards passing, but he also had 130 yards rushing. So I mean, you just you know, to your point, you need a guy against that Seattle defense that can move around and be able to make plays. I want to let's let's go back to that Seattle defense for a moment now, Willie. And and I was throwing out some numbers there uh, before you got on in terms of where they rank in terms of of the all time greats. So I want to throw this out, throw this at you. You look at this Seattle defense and the run they had in these playoffs. They went through basically Peyton Manning, a Hall of Fame quarterback, and Drew Brees is probably a Hall of Fame quarterback as well. And Colin Kaepernick, who knows what he could be. He, I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, but he's going to be a very good quarterback probably for years to come. You look at the 85 Bears and who they went through in terms of their quarterbacks. They went through Phil Simms. Obviously, Phil Simms is a big-time quarterback. Dieter Brock. And they also beat Tony Eason in the Super Bowl. And then you look at the 2000 Ravens. They beat Gus Farratt. They beat Rich Gannon. They beat Steve McNair. And ultimately, they beat Kerry Collins. In terms of the quarterbacks that this defense faced and beat in these playoffs, you have to say the Seahawks much more impressive in terms of the quarterbacks they played. Uh, I will say that. I will, I will say the Seahawks, you know, much more impressive than I, uh, if we look at those teams, though, per se, well, you know, Peyton Manning had, 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 had an all-time year passing the ball. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think that they have a Dobbinian rush on that team this year. I don't think that, you know, the teams didn't run the ball like they did back then in some right. of those times. So I don't really have to look at those teams that, that they played against and really look at the stats of, of how the teams were. But, uh Seattle, I mean, all year. I mean, I mean, I don't know what they lose, two or three games this year. Uh, they've only lost one game at home in the last yeah. two years, if I'm not mistaken, since uh, since uh, Russell Wilson has been there. I mean, what did they do? What you saying, Paul? They lost, they lost once at home since Russell Wilson's been there. Okay. What they've never been able to do, and when they got home field, you knew it was going to be tough. For anybody to beat them there, and uh, and the thing, the, the the thing about it was, you know, a lot of times, you know, he had he had he had a, the, the the big free agent Rice was hurt this year, got toward, got hurt again, and mm-hmm. he had Percy Harvin who was out all year basically and played big in the Super Bowl, which I didn't expect him to be able to do, and he made a big difference in that game. I mean, he was it was on that jet, jet sweep. It just looked like he was. They were running, I don't know, running this I don't know what their practice structure was compared to the teams. Uh, I don't know what what Denver was doing, how much they were doing, if they overdid it. 
we know that uh, Seattle, you know, cut back and, and how they try to save their legs. Uh, so, to me, you know, I don't know if Denver had their legs. It didn't look like they had their legs. Uh, I don't know. What, you know, the difference in what, I mean, how much those, the teams were doing. So, you know, either they ran out of game against New England or, you know, it was just, but uh, it was very interesting. But I will say this, Seattle is right there with, with the year they had. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I, I'm not going to say they're as good as that Baltimore or that 85 Bears right. defense, they're, 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 but they're right there in that, they're in the, they're in the discussion with the, the, the as far as the way the defensive plays is the best that, that have done it, you know, uh, uh, in Super Bowl history they are. Because that was a defensive team that made it. Now, I think I think Russell Wilson is, is, is not, is, you know, he's not Trent Dilfer. I mean, they have more. No, I'm more talented. Talented. What, what Baltimore was able to do was amazing. With the offense, they had, you know, they could run the ball, but not passing the ball. Shinny Sharp was their, really their receiver on that team. You know, yeah. he did a lot for that team. But I do, I do put Seattle, in, you know, they are in that top echelon of defensive Super Bowl team, especially it's, it's ironic with the way the league's going with uh, all the scoring and passing and stuff that they still have a team that's constructed like that. Talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofer. Willie, I want, I want to get your thoughts on this now. I was looking at some numbers, and I looked at the 2012 Broncos in comparison to the 2013 Broncos. And it's my belief that actually 2012 was actually the year for the Broncos more so than 2013. You look at 2012. I want to throw a number at you. The Broncos allowed 289 points, which was 18 points per game, which was fourth in football. You look at them in 2013. They gave up an additional 110 points on the defensive side of the ball, gave up almost 25 points per game at 24.9 points per game, which was 22nd in the league. Also, the sack numbers defensively. 52 sacks in 2012, only 41 sacks in 2013. I look at those two, I look at the numbers, and I look at the Broncos and what they were on the defensive side of football in 2012, and conversely, and, and comparing it to 2013, I actually think that the Broncos' opportunity was in 2013, I mean 2012, excuse me, not in 2013, and moving forward with the uncertainty of Peyton Manning, I don't think the Broncos are going to get back, and I don't think they're going to win it with Peyton Manning. But I actually think 2012 was the year for the Denver Broncos. Well, another, another thing, Paul, to add to that point you made, um, uh, in, in that, with the, you know, with that pass that happened in that game against Baltimore, the, right. know, Baltimore was on that great run last year. You know, you you, you lose, you lose uh, Von Miller for the year. Yeah. You lose uh, uh, what's called a really hadn't played played this year at all, Champ Bailey, and you lose uh, your Pro Bowl left tackle this year, and and, and all three of that, you know, pass work. The situation, you know, with the line caught up with him, and uh, you know, Miller and, and, and Champ's situation, you know, obviously caught up with him. So all those, all, everything you said is true because uh, they missed those guys tremendously. And we're talking about three Pro Bowl, or you know, and Champ did play in the game and, and a Hall of Fame type of guy. But like you said, over the course of the year, the Broncos were giving up a lot. It seemed like they were baby don't break this year. And then if we we got two Peyton, it's going to be able to outscore these teams. And also, mind you, Elvis Dumerville. 
and that whole situation, the whole situation with the contract and how that got messed up, and ultimately he went to the Ravens. But in 2012, he had 11 sacks, so you missed that as well, another Pro Bowl-type guy. So it, it's it's funny. I mean, I don't think, you know, and obviously, you know, the season hasn't started, and the offseason is just getting started. But I don't think Peyton Manning, I think it's a lot to expect Peyton Manning to duplicate the numbers that he had in 2013. I don't think it's going to happen. And ultimately, you never know with the surgically repaired neck. Ultimately, he is going to be 38 years old. So the reality is, to me, last year was the year for the Broncos. They didn't get it done. They didn't take advantage of it in 2013. Moving forward, I think the Broncos and their whole situation, I don't think this, I don't think Peyton Manning is going to break through ever again. I think he's done in terms of getting back and ultimately winning a Super Bowl. I'm I, I, I would agree. I think they're going to be good and they're going to be competitive. Uh, we don't know what they're going to do with Wes Walker this year. Right. I mean, that's another another topic is who are they going to keep? Because they're going to have to pay some of those receivers they got. You know, what are they going to do with Wes Walker? Um, we don't know. But um, they will. I don't know if Chet will be back next year. Vaughn will be back next year. Uh, Clay is the left tackle will be back next year. You know, I think they're going to be competitive. I mean, if, if Peyton plays, he's going to be competitive. The team's going to be good. They got Moreno, who's up on the contract this year. You know, what are they, are they going to sign? Moreno got, what are they going to do with um, uh, Cromarty, uh, the cornerback who had an outstanding year? Mm-hmm. So they, they got they got some, uh, they got they got a few holes to fill, and we'll see. I will say they will be competitive. Uh, to, to lose the Super Bowl in that way, you know, I, I, I mean, it's, it's going to be, you know, do people have confidence that Peyton can get it done and going into 38 years old? Like you said, can he, do people think that he, can, even, even if he get back, can he get it done at this point? Because, right. you know, you got to think about it too. During the course of that year, Peyton was hurting real bad with some ankle. I remember I was, I was in New Orleans and, and Peyton's ankles were, those sprains and, and people falling on his legs. I mean, he was hurting real bad during the course of that year. And he was fighting through it. He's tough, but he was hurting bad during the course of that year. Bad enough to almost want to sit down a couple of weeks. Now they're good. they're going to be good with Welker this year, but the key is Eric Decker. Welker has one more year, but Eric Decker is going to be the key. Well, they're probably not going to be able to bring him back. And no, no, no. But they're, but they're saying they might let Welker go. Just because he's okay. got one more year, don't mean they're going to keep him. Right. But I, you would think with the year that he had, I and mean, I guess the concussions. Are a concern, but you. you I don't mean it. It should be interesting. I just don't. You know, I look at the Broncos now, and I just think it's weird. I I go back to the Houston Texans for a moment. It's weird. I go back to them, and the year there was a year uh, they had the big time defense with Wade Phillips there, and the year that Matt Schaub went down, and T.J. Yates came in, and ultimately they played the Ravens in the divisional round. They gave the Ravens fits in that game and maybe could have won it if Matt Schaub was there. I thought that was their year. I think that was 2011. I thought that was that year. I thought that was their year to possibly break through. The NFL is so weird. I mean, you look at the 49ers in the three years they've, they've gotten to the Super Bowl or the conference championship round, three years in a row. At some point, you know, at some point, injuries are going to catch up to you. Something's going to happen, and you're not going to be able to get back to it. So, and you know better than I do in terms of the National Football League, and nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed out here. So, I mean, at some point, you wonder. 
And, and I look at the Broncos, and I just don't think it's going to happen for Peyton Manning ever again. I, until well, the Super Bowl, it, it, they make – go ahead. The 49ers had those big injuries in, in the championship game. I mean, they, lo- they lose. Bowman and yeah. the Eagle Power – I'm not even pronouncing that name right. They lose both those guys in the NFC Championship game. I mean, so they had some big injuries in that game when they were, and they had a couple bad. I think the 49ers had a few bad calls in that game that went to Seattle also. You know, if you look right. at it, I mean, that game could have gone either way, very easily gone either way. And, 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 and we thought the 49ers might upset Seattle in that game. A lot of people did. Right. I, I thought the 49ers were going to win that game. And I actually said it before you got on. I walked away from that game actually thinking that the best team didn't win that day. Because I just felt like the 49ers were – that was their game to lose. I mean, I just, everything – I mean, ultimately Russell Wilson made some big plays in that game. That Seahawks defense made some big plays. Ultimately that was the difference. But I just walked away from that game thinking the 49ers were the better football team. But, you know, the Seahawks showed me in this Super Bowl who truly is the better team. And Willie – you were in New York City that, uh, last week, and there was a lot of talk about a cold-weather city hosting the Super Bowl. It's over now. Your thoughts on it? it should it be done again? You know, I, I, don't, I don't say it should be done again because, like, the day after the Super Bowl, um, uh, it was snowing real bad. I mean, the weather, yeah. the problem with, with a city like that, the weather changes so quickly. Like being in Kansas City or being in Denver, it can be, Decent weather one day, and the next day it might be a blizzard or it might be icing up. I mean, it's just so many variables that you can't control. Uh, you know, I mean, other than people just wanting to see it in the elements, if you're talking about from a standpoint that, that you know, it, it was a good Super Bowl, don't get me wrong. It was a good thing as far as the week, the, the way everything played out. Everything was right there in midtown, you know, uh, in those blocks and People could get around different places. So in that aspect, it was good. The functions, every, everybody had a good time. But and the weather, for the most part, until the Super Bowl, you know, that, that, that when I got there that Wednesday, it was, it was cool, but it, was, it wasn't that bad. But like I said, it just it, it changed as soon as the Super Bowl was over. They got lucky because I was, I was there that Monday, and it was snowing all day that Monday. So, you know, like I said, it, it, it's a lot of variance, but I, I'd rather see the Super Bowl played in somewhere, you know, in, indoors or somewhere outside where it's, uh, you know, a warmer cli- uh, cli- climate where people can, you know, have access to it. That's why people love going to New Orleans. Uh, they love going to uh, Arizona. And uh, right. obviously they like coming out to uh, California, having Super Bowls in uh, San Diego. Uh, you know, they haven't had one in, in L.A. in a while. You know, they haven't, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, they haven't had one in the California, you know, in a while they haven't had one in their life. So. I mean, yeah, and ultimately they got lucky. The NFL did get lucky in terms of the way the weather uh, worked out for them. But I, I'm with you. I, I don't think there should be a cold weather su- a city Super Bowl. It, to me, it's just, I, I just believe that the Super Bowl should be a type of game where the elements should be as close to perfect as possible. And that the only way a team loses a game is not because of the elements, but because they weren't good enough. And I I think that's the way it should be when it comes to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it should be interesting. I don't think we're going to see it anytime soon, but I think we we may see it again. Who knows? Maybe Philadelphia will be in the mix. They're they're Uh, 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 at Miami. 
Miami is another city that they like having there. I mean, the, the 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 thing about New York, which is which was good, you know, you pretty much can get in a cab or get in a, get somewhere right there where you wanted to go, other than dealing with the traffic. It was all right there in in that area. So that the good thing about New York is if you wanted to get somewhere as far as the events and stuff, it was in that Manhattan uh, 80th block, and people know all the way down to 40th, 30th. You know, you could get to where you wanted to go to a restaurant or an event. I mean, you know, it was, it was logistically, it worked out well. As far as that's concerning, uh, some of these cities don't work out that well, you know, getting around, and that's why people, like I said, love New, New Orleans, especially New Orleans and uh, Arizona. Uh, Miami, people like Miami a lot. Also, we we right. we, live, we left out Miami, but uh, right. you know it's being able to get around during the week. Uh, remember, they didn't the Super Bowl did not have a good turnout. They had bad weather, even though it was indoors. Was when right. they had all the problems when they were in Atlanta. A while yeah, back. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that was uh, the that was the the Rams and the uh, Titans in that particular Super Bowl. I think it was ice, a bunch of ice down there in Atlanta that particular year. Willie, real quickly now. Seahawks, will they repeat? Oh <laughs> uh, man, uh, they they have a good ch- chance. I mean, it's going to depend on what they do. They're going to have, they, they, you know, Percy Harvin. I'm not worried about the defense. I'm worried about the offense. You know, mm-hmm. what are they going to be able to do to shore it up offensively? You know, they got to add some weapons. The thing, the good thing about it, they can focus on the offense in the draft. So with that, right. with me saying that. Um, they have a good, good, a good chance. I will give them a, I will give them a, you know, fifty, what was it, fifty, fifty chance. I mean, I would say they got, they got the way that team is structured. I don't see anybody going up there, you know, beating up on those boys at home. And I, I right. you know, I said they're gonna win at least ten, eleven games this year. And here's the thing about the Seahawks: they draft very well. I mean, Richard Sherman, fifth rounder. Chancellor, fifth rounder. Malcolm Smith, the MVP, was a seventh rounder. Russell Wilson was a third rounder. So the team, they draft very well. So, And in the NFL, it's not really about free agents. It's about the teams that draft well. And 49ers drafted well over the years. And Seahawks, they're another team. And, 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 and another team that was drafted well uh, was when, when they were making those runs, the Saints were – do, do you yeah. know the team? Do you look at the teams that won? When the Saints were winning, they were drafting especially real good linemen, getting some guys late in the draft that were being real, real good players for them coming in. So you know, uh, you know, people look at those those high round picks. It's not the high round picks that make the difference. I, I would say it's the later round picks that have really made a difference on these teams you're talking about that are getting some late round picks that have turned into Pro Bowl type players. Over the years, you had Bushwise who left the Saints. Yeah. And now you have the kid from UAPB that stepped in and played good against Seattle in that NFC mm-hmm. Championship game. But it's these later round picks that are able to come in and contribute, and uh, and also free agents that that, that that make a difference when you start turning over your rosters. And you also Jari Evans, you know, the, the big-time guard, uh, went in the fourth round. So, to your point, the Saints have drafted well, and, and, and that's, that, that's the difference in the NFL. You have to be able to draft well if you want to win in the NFL. Willie, pleasure talking to you, man. Nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Same to you. All right. Hall of Famer, Willie Rofe. And 
Yeah, a lot of a lot, a lot of interesting wide range of discussion when talking about you know the Seattle team and and I look at this team right now and and you look at the Seahawks and obviously you know in terms of defense we we have to talk in terms of the, who they played in, in these playoffs in terms of quarterbacks and and what they did on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, it's impressive. It, it truly is impressive. And I don't think I, I, I said before, I say it again, I don't think I realized the magnitude of how impressive it really was until I watched the Super Bowl and saw what they did against Peyton Manning. But then I start looking at these numbers and, and how they stack up against the 85 Bears and the 2000 Ravens. I mean, this Seahawks team playing two Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks gave up 40 points. 40 points. That's going up against a Drew Brees. That's going up against a Colin Kaepernick. That's going up against a Peyton Manning. And that's also in a league now where, where points are in vogue, in a league now where defenses or hands are tied, and in a league now where the rules favor the, the, the offense. It, it's very impressive. And then the Ravens, 23 points per game. I mean, 23 points in total in terms of what they gave up in the playoffs. And then the Bears, 85 Bears, I mean, you know, 10 points in the postseason. That just numbers are just absolutely ridiculous. Ten points in the postseason, two shutouts, two shutouts against the Giants and the Rams, two shutouts, and only one and what ten points against the Patriots. And that last touchdown was scored in the fourth quarter, garbage time touchdown. So, absolutely, I mean the Bears, eighty-five Bears. That was a fifteen and one team. I just say in terms of impact, and, and I, I got to say the eighty-five Bears. Are the team? And I know the Ravens number wise, numbers wise, they they stop, they they jump out at you, but and also and, and looking at the Ravens, their quarterback and the pressure that was on that defense to perform. I mean, the Bears had Jim McMahon, and I know he missed some time throughout the course of that season, but he was a better quarterback than Trent Dilfer and Tony Banks, and just as good of a quarterback I would think as Russell Wilson in my mind. But Jim McMahon was a guy who who struggled injuries, injury prone. Jim McMahon couldn't stay, health, couldn't stay healthy to save his life. But you look at the numbers and, and what the Seattle Seahawks defense did in 2013 and how they stack up, it's impressive. And, and it's not, you know, you, you could make an argument that this team defensively, obviously they're in the conversation because we're talking about them right now. So obviously they are in the conversation when, we, when you talk about greatest defenses of all time. They're in the conversation. Got to talk about it. But, and obviously you have the, the still curtain defense, the Dallas Doomsday defense, you have the no-name defense out there, or the Dolphins. I mean, you got, you, got, you got defenses out here. You got defenses out here, and we can, you know. And we're talking more so, I'm talking, what, last 30 years. Last 30 years. And, you look at the Seahawks defense, and I think you, you you talk about rule changes. And with these new rules, I'm telling you, Seahawks and what they've done is very impressive. Very impressive. Greatest of all time, better than 85 Bears, better than the 2,000 Ravens? I don't think so. Because I, I felt like in the 2000, with the 2,000 Ravens, and even the 85 Bears, for, for that matter, those defenses, there was a lot of pressure on those defenses to perform. More so than I think the Seattle Seahawks defense, because I think Russell Wilson is a—he is a maybe a top ten, 
type quarterback at this point in time. He won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl. It was one of the reasons why they won a Super Bowl. Definitely one of the reasons why. But it's an interesting argument. I'm going to go back to this. I brought up with Willie with, in comparing the 2013 and 2012 Denver Broncos and, and looking at this team and looking at those two teams and, and, and comparing those teams. And, yes, Peyton had a better season this year, but Peyton Manning had 37 touchdowns and 11 interceptions a year ago and 4,600 yards passing, over 4,600 yards passing that particular season. I, I just, you know, you, you had Von Miller who had 18.5 sacks, Dumerville with 11 sacks. You, you obviously had a better defensive line in 2012. And you had Champ Bailey who was there. And you, you had Chris Harris who was there. So they were better defensively in 2012. And they gave up 110 more points in 2013 in comparison to 2012. That's a lot of points. Because the NFL, a lot of games come down to a couple plays here and there. A lot of these teams are evenly matched in the National Football League. So you talk about a 100-point difference. That's big. That is big. That's big. But I, I just compared it to the 2012 and the 2013 Broncos, and looking at those teams, I believe that the Broncos' opportunity now was 2012, not this season. Their opportunity was 2012. That was their gear. They were a better football team, head and shoulders, better than the Baltimore Ravens. Probably were better than the Patriots and probably were better than the Giants in that particular season. Not the Giants. Just because the 49ers. Because it probably would have beat the 49ers, I think. But who knows? But I think they were better. I can't say they were better than the Seahawks this season. I can say they were better than the Baltimore Ravens, a team that won the Super Bowl. But I can't say they're better than the Seahawks. So with all that being said, 2012 was the year for the Denver Broncos. 2012 was the year, and they didn't capitalize. In terms of rushing yards, 1,829 rushing yards in 2012, and they had a little more, slightly a little more in 2013. But here's the reality. Defensively is where the difference is. Defensively is the difference. And defensively, those numbers were so much better in 2012. And as we all know, Defense wins championships. And I, and I think it's safe to say, after what we saw, the old adage, a great defense always beats a great offense. And we thought that was going to change. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the Seahawks proved you got to run the ball and you got to be able to stop people on the defensive side of the football. The Seahawks have proved that myth, and it's not a myth, that defense wins championships. They have proven that. And I don't think anybody can deny that at this point after what we saw. There's no denying after what we saw that defense wins championships. And then also another argument, there's no denying at this point that in today's NFL, with the athleticism on the defensive side of football and the bigger, stronger, faster athlete, that you might need a mobile quarterback to win in this league. These pocket passers might be – uh, it's 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 time has changed, time has changed, and again there was always this this and again it's a myth that 
mobile quarterback, scrambling quarterback could win Super Bowls. Steve Young was a scrambling mobile quarterback. Roger Staubach, for that matter, scrambling mobile quarterback. <coughs> Aaron Rodgers, scrambling mobile quarterback. He has won. There was always that myth out there that that pocket passers win in terms of Super Bowls in the National Football League. But, and again, as I said to Willie Rowe, reality is at the end of the day, you've got to be able to, to throw in the pocket. You've got to be able to stand in there and throw in the pocket at the end of the day. And that's my trepidation about Johnny Manziel. I mean, a lot of people are in love with Johnny Manziel and talking about he's going to be the number one pick in this year's NFL draft. And, and, and Johnny Manziel is the mobile scrambling quarterback. Mobile scrambling quarterback can get around, move around. But I, I, my concern with Johnny Manziel is what he does in the pocket. And, you know, you see a lot of scintillating plays. You see a lot of big-time plays. You see a lot of electrifying, electrifying plays. But my concern is what are you going to do? Because at the end of the day, you've got to be able to stand in that pocket and be able to, to get the ball down the field. And, and you've got to be able to do it. You've got to be able to stand in that pocket at the end of the day and get the ball down the field. You've got to. You got to. And Johnny Menzel is, is you look at Russell Wilson, here's the thing, even with his mobility and his ability to get outside the pocket and everything, he's not reckless. And that's the thing, he's not reckless. You look at R G three on the other hand, in comparing those two and comparing the mobile quarterbacks. R G three was a guy he got out of the pocket but he, he always wanted more. He he was like here's the here's the like an example of that. You look at the game where he first injured his leg against the Baltimore Ravens, and he got smashed by Haloti Nada. RG3 could have easily stepped out of bounds on that play. But if you, if you see the play, he went out, and then he turned it back in, and that's where he got banged by Haloti Nada. Russell Wilson probably would have stepped out of bounds. And that's the thing about Russell Wilson. He's smart. He's he's smart. He's not reckless when he runs. He's a big-time runner. He can run the ball in terms of, you know, out of the pocket and everything, but he's smart. And you wonder, Manziel, you know, he's not the biggest of guys. And you wonder, does he have the smarts to, to live to play another down? Does he have that in him? And, like, you look at a guy like Michael Vick, I mean, as electrifying as he is, electrifying as he is, as amazing and as some of the special head-scratching plays he's made over the years, the guy's had a hard time staying healthy. And, and part of that is sometimes you're just too daggone competitive. And, and Michael Vick is one of those guys that's just too daggone competitive sometimes. And you, you look at it and you say sometimes, and, and I thought this year Michael Vick, made a concerting, concerted effort, excuse me, of, of trying to get out of bounds and not trying to take that big hit. And the reality is he got hurt basically fluke-type situation, pulled a hamstring. That's where he got hurt. Ultimately, Nick Foles came in. Nick Foles put up big-time numbers, and ultimately we know what happened from there. But at the end of the day, mobile, pocket passer, whatever you are, you have to be able to stand in there and throw the ball down the field. Russell Wilson has proven that he can stand in there 
and throw the ball down the field, but you need that extra dimension. And I talked about this before, and I'll say it again. I always thought that this notion was a little racial, from my, in my opinion. It, it just was a little racial because, you know, it's really Aaron Rodgers has proved it, Steve Young has proved it, Roger Stallback has proved it, that you can win in this league with a mobile quarterback. And, and to me, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of these guys, a lot of guys who tend to be, quote-unquote, mobile quarterbacks tend to be African-American. So, you know, Randall Cunningham's of, of the world, the Michael Vicks of the world, um, Russell Wilson, RG3 of the world, Colin Kaepernick of the world. I mean, we're, we're more inclined, and, and we're, we're saying that you can't win a Super Bowl with a mobile quarterback. And it was a myth, obviously. Steve Young proved it. Russell Wilson proved it. Aaron Rodgers proved it. Roger Stallback proved it. So it was a myth. It was a myth. But I thought that myth had some racial undertones. I still believe that. But I think now, after Russell Wilson winning it, in the NFL, the copycat league, there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks who look like Russell Wilson, who move like Russell Wilson, who are going to be quarterbacks in the National Football League. And they're probably going to win Super Bowls in the National Football League. Second hour of Go For It starts right now. Now go for it starting right now, and I want to t- switch gears now to Alex Rodriguez and baseball. Alex Rodriguez has decided that he no longer will be suing Major League, will be suing Bud Selig, and decided that he won't be suing his own union, which is the Major League Players Association. He decided yesterday it's over, he's going to move on with his life, he's going to take the ban. He's going to you know, sit home for a year or what have you and come on back. He's determined to play next season. I believe he'll, will, he will be back. And ultimately, his thought, the thought that's out there is that Alex Rodriguez did not want to burn any bridges at this point, did not want to burn any bridges. And I figured, you know what, it's time to end this. It's time to get on with my life. And I looked at this whole situation also – a lot of people say another factor in this is that the legal costs, the legal fees associated with this, I mean, reports are it could cost them as much as $10 million to fight this in terms of lawyer fees. So, I, I mean, I look at it this way. Alex Rodriguez, everybody involved with, with this whole situation, uh, biotech in Miami, like everybody involved with that whole situation has rolled over. Everybody involved with Tony Bosch has rolled over. You were the only one that fought this thing. You were the only one that tried to fight it. You look at Ryan Braun now. He's trying to move on with his life. And I think this was the wise move by Alex Rodriguez at this point because the reality is the faster you can admit that you may have done something wrong, and he's not admitting anything at this point in time, but by him, Walking away from this thing, he's essentially a mint guilt in my mind at this point in time. But but the faster you can move on from this, 
and turn the page from this, the faster you can get back on with your life, the faster that you give people time to forget. The longer you keep putting yourself in the media, walking out of the sessions and going on WFAN with Mike Francesca, Mike Francesca and, 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 and going all these different places and, and constantly putting out statements and things of that nature, you're going to fight this, you're going to fight that. The longer you keep that train moving, the longer it takes for people to forget about it. People will forget. People forget. I mean, in terms of your Hall of Fame, in terms of you making a Hall of Fame, that's probably not going to happen. But in terms of people forgetting and you being able to move on with your life and you being able to, get to, to work maybe as a broadcaster or work somewhere else after your career is over, somewhere associated with baseball, you know, you give yourself an opportunity to do all those things by moving on from this. And also, you're suing your own union. You know, what's, what's the harm? What's the, what's the benefit in that, especially if you're probably guilty? There's no benefit in that. So the reality is, it's time for Alex Rodriguez to move on with his life. He has moved on with his life by ending, and a lot of people say, this charade, because that's what essentially it is. It is a charade. It's a charade. It's an absolute charade at this point. And I was for it for an extended period of time, but I think after the union said what they needed to say, I'm excuse me, the arbitrator, after the arbitrator said what he needed to say, I thought it was time at that point for Alex Rodriguez to take his ball and go on home for a year and then come on back. And a year from now, we won't remember as much as we do now. You know, and we'll, we'll forget. I mean, you know, people live busy lives and, you know, people got families to feed and people got lives to live and a job to go through day in and day out. They don't really have time to be thinking about Alex Rodriguez and his whole mess. And so people will forget. I mean, people forget about Kobe Bryant. I mean, and his whole situation with, with the alleged rape. People forget about that. People forget about those things. They forget. People don't even talk about it. It's like it never happened, Really. People forget those things. So the faster you move on, the faster you can get start the healing, and the faster, you know, everything will just go away at some point. It, it'll, it'll go away because people won't care. People will not care. But Alex Rodriguez has decided to move on with his life and move on from this whole lawsuit, this whole charade, if you will, because that's what it was. It was a charade. Alex Rodriguez was just trying. I don't know what he was trying to do. He was trying to save his life, his career. He was trying to save, save his career. But the reality is there's no saving at this point. He's guilty. He has to move on with his life, and he's doing that. And good luck to him moving forward. <clears throat> I want to switch gears now to the Olympics. Sochi, Russia the Olympics, and I look at the Winter Olympics now, and I may be in the minority here, but I don't think I'll watch many much of it. I, I, it's a kind of who cares type of situation. I mean, it's really not that alluring to me. And you wonder if the Olympics have lost its luster over the years. I mean, ha have the Olympics lost its luster? Do people care about the Olympics as much as they used to? I mean, do they still care about the Olympics the way they used to? I don't think they do. 
And I could be wrong on that, but I don't think they do. I, I, I think people don't care as much. I think people, can I say, are over in some level. I mean, the Winter Olympics, you know, the U.S. has never really had a lot of success in the Winter Olympics. They've had their success in the Summer Games. But I, I don't know. I just look at these Olympics and, and I just say, who cares? I mean, I, you know, a lot of the big stories is security and whether Russia really was ready for this. And maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But, I mean, it's really, I don't know, it's just, I'm not moved by these games. And I wonder if people will be moving forward. I, I really do. I wonder if people will be moved by these games. It should be interesting, very interesting. I want to um, go back to the Super Bowl now. And Interesting. K.J. Wright, linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks, he believes that, and these are his quotes, I'd probably go 90 out of 100. They might get lucky. They might got lucky those other 10 times. They're a good football team, but you know the way we play. Our style of play, most teams just can't match up. And this is what he's saying in terms of the Broncos and the Seahawks, and if they were going to play 100 times, he believes that the Seahawks will win 90 of those times. And, you know, judging by what we saw, in that game, judging by uh, the amount of points and just how close the game really was, and it wasn't close at all, maybe K.J. Wright is on to something. But it's hard for me to believe that Peyton Manning, if he was going to play a team 90 times, 100 times, would lose 90 of them. That's a lot. It's a lot of games. I don't see that happening. But, but, wouldn't be surprising. Wouldn't be shocking. I'm not saying it's not out of the realm of possibilities because, you know, anything is possible. But 90 out of 100 with Peyton Manning, 90 out of 100 with one, possibly one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, you're asking a lot. You're asking a lot. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with K.J. Wright there, Maybe 60 out of 100, 60 or 70 out of 100, the uh, Seahawks would beat the Denver Broncos. Maybe. Maybe 60 out of, uh, of 100. But I don't, you know, I don't say 90 out of 100. That's a lot. That's really a lot. That's really a lot. 90 times. Peyton Manning will lose to the, to the Seahawks out of a hundred uh, out of a hundred games. That's a lot. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Let's go to the let's go to the NBA now. And what an exciting finish last night in Orlando, Magic and the and OKC. And at the end of that game, you know, you, you had the situation. Thunder up one. Kevin Durant with the jump shot. He missed it. Victor Oladipo retrieves it, gets into the uh, front court. Three-on-one, Tobias Harris finishes it off with a dunk at the buzzer. I mean, that was a great way to end a basketball game. That's an exciting way to end the basketball game. I mean, it was 
you know, and, and, and Scott Brooks came out, and he was not happy. He was saying that everybody shouldn't, should have got back there. There was more players who should have gotten back. More players that should have gotten back, and they didn't. They didn't get back. And, and because they didn't get back, ultimately, Tobias Harris was able to finish it. They were able to finish it off with a Tobias Harris dunk at the buzzer. At the buzzer. It was, it was a thing of beauty. It was a thing of beauty how that transpired. I mean, and you look at OKC and the way they've been playing over the past few weeks. They've been big time. They're money without Westbrook. They've been big time. And anybody that's talking about trading a Russell Westbrook and saying that OKC is better without Russell Westbrook, you're, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. And I think our proof is what we saw in the NBA playoffs a year ago. They were a much different team without Russell Westbrook. And granted, they've gotten a little better off the bench this season. But at the same time, and I think they're a better team than they were a year ago. Reggie Jackson's better. You know, Lamb is better. So they've definitely gotten some pieces there in terms of their team. and their, But they're, they're better equipped to be in the playoffs and, and be successful without Russell Westbrook. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and this is just a regular season, and, you know, in the regular season you can, you can get by for periods of time. But in the playoffs, you know, your weaknesses are exposed. You're playing a team uh, possibly seven times, at least four times. So they're going to figure out ways to limit what you do. And when you don't have that game changer like a Russell Westbrook, and he is a game changer, when you don't have that, to go along with a Kevin Durant, a KD, when you don't have that, guess what? It's going to get exposed. So anybody that believes that OKC is, is better off without the services of Russell Westbrook is crazy. It's crazy. I mean, last season they probably sweep the Rockets if Westbrook was there probably sweep the Rockets. Ultimately, they won in six. And then, you know, you go to the Grizzlies, and then it was not even serious. The thing about it is, if Russell Westbrook was there, this team probably gets to the NBA Finals, probably gets back to the NBA Finals. Probably gets back to the NBA Finals. But the reality is, is this. Anybody that believes that OKC, which is number one in the Western Conference, 40-12 and 12, on top of the Western Conference, but anybody that believes that moving forward, OKC would, would be better served to trade Russell Westbrook is out of their mind. Out of, you think, and I know they went and beat, went to, and beat the Heat, in Miami a few weeks back. But at the end of the day, you think they could beat the Heat in a seven-game series with a healthy D-Wade and a healthy everybody on the Miami Heat without Russell Westbrook? I don't think so. I don't think so. And you could even say even their own conference beating the Spurs, possibly Portland or the Clippers. Could they beat those two teams? Could they beat those teams 
in a seven-game series. They could definitely get out of the first round, I think. But, you know, the Western Conference is tough. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks, who are 30-21, and 21, are, are the eighth seed in the Western Conference at 30-21. and 21. <clears throat> So that tells you all you need to know about the Western Conference. And conversely, in the East, the number eight team is the Charlotte Bobcats at 22 and 28. They're bottom feeders at this point in time. But I look at also staying in the NBA and looking at what we saw the other last night from Indiana and Portland. That was a back-and-forth basketball game. That was back-and-forth. That was a great game. That was a great game. Two great teams right now, two very good basketball teams right now. I can't say great because neither have won a championship at this point in time. Two very good basketball teams last night, going back and forth. Went to overtime. Lillard hitting big shots. and Paul George hitting big shots. George Hill hitting big shots. LaMarcus Aldridge hitting big shots. Batum. And on all those guys, I mean, hitting big-time shots in that game back and forth. It was beautiful. It was a thing of beauty. It was a thing of beauty. And you look at Indiana, 39-10, and 10, adding an Andrew Bynum to the mix. Bynum now is in the mix. And, and then bringing in Andrew Bynum, to me, it's the type of move where I, I don't know if Bynum's going to pay dividends, but... Here's the thing. Would you rather see Bynum pay dividends uh, for the Miami Heat? Would you want to see that happen? Would you want to see Andrew Bynum go to the Heat and, and then Andrew turn back and revert back to the Andrew Bynum with the Los Angeles Lakers? And I don't think he'll ever be that guy. But what if that were going to work? What was that? What? Excuse me. What was that? What would happen if that were to happen? I can't even talk. I can't even get my thoughts right. What would happen if that was going to happen? You know, I mean, what would you think the Indiana Pacers would be sick to themselves if Andrew Bynum were to go to the Miami Heat and revert to the Andrew Bynum of old? I think it's a smart move by the Indiana Pacers from this standpoint. You keep him away from everybody else. You keep this guy away from everybody else. You keep him away from everybody else. You keep him away from the Miami Heat. You keep him away from all the teams that you're going up against. You keep him away. You keep him away from anybody in the Western Conference that you may see in the finals. You don't think Andrew Biden would be an upgrade over Kendrick Perkins for OKC? Sure. You wonder what Andrew Biden would be with Timmy Duncan in San Antonio. But the bottom line is this. I don't know if Andrew Bynum's ever going to be Andrew Bynum, but I do know that know this. You would rather take the chance and have him on your team, give him the money and then keep him on your team in comparison to having him go to Miami. You don't want to see that. If you went to Miami, if you went to Miami, if he went to Miami, that would be crazy, and if reverted back to the to the Andrew Bynum of old, that would be ridiculous. So, hey, turn to the Indiana Pacers. At least you keep him away from 
the heat, no matter if it works out or doesn't work out, you keep him away from the heat. You keep him away. And this guy has said, Andrew Bynum, told a reporter the other day that he hasn't did any basketball-related activities in six weeks since he was originally sent away. Six weeks, no basketball-related activities. So I don't know what that means. Could be, you know, does have bad knees, so maybe he's trying to preserve his knees. Could be he's just lazy, don't care. And that wouldn't be the first time someone has said that Andrew Bynum doesn't care. Probably won't be the last. He's one of these guys that you see all the time. Guy just grew big, and because he grew big, he said, you know what, let me take up basketball. So he takes up basketball. Why not take up basketball? Who cares? I'm big. I'm, I, I can make a lot of money doing this. I might as well take this up. I'm pretty good at it. But he never really loved the game, never really had a passion for the game, never was like Kobe. You know, never would probably play basketball for free. Never probably played basketball that much in the off season. He was the type of guy that grew big and decided to take advantage of his talents and decided, let me take advantage of these talents and try to make as much, as much money as I can. Why not? Why not? So, but Andrew Bynum, he is away from the Miami Heat. At least they've done that. If, if nothing happens, at least they kept Andrew Bynum away from the Miami Heat, and that being the Indiana Pacers. At least they did that. Just sticking in the National Basketball Association now, the New York Knicks, and so much has been talked about the Knicks, and Mike Woodson came out and said this season, at this point in time, has been a disaster. And 50 games into the season, Knicks 20-30, and 30, two games behind the Charlotte Bobcats for the eighth spot, in the Eastern Conference, I tend to agree with him. It has been a disaster. I mean, this was a 54-win team a year ago. This was a team that many thought had an opportunity to compete for a championship. Now this is a team that's fighting for their playoff lives. You look at the eighth-seeded Charlotte Bobcats. You look at the two teams, and you would say the Knicks are a better team on paper the Charlotte Bobcats. So that's a team they probably should and probably will catch. I see the Knicks getting in as an eighth or seventh seed. I mean, Brooklyn is 22 and 26. They're not much better. Four games under 500 in comparison to the Knicks who are 10 games over 500, but they're not much better. And a sixth seeded Chicago Bulls are 24 and 25. The fifth seed is the Washington Wizards at 24 and 25. So there's a lot of bad basketball being played in the Eastern Conference and a lot of bad teams playing in the Eastern Conference. So the Knicks, if they can turn this thing around, they have the talent to do so. Melo, Tyson Chandler, J.R. Smith, if he can get his head right. Heck, Jeremy Tyler's giving them some good minutes. They have the talent to turn this around. Talent-wise, I'm not saying they're world beaters. But talent-wise, they're better than 20 and 30. Talent-wise. Talent-wise, they're better 
the 20 and 30. That's for sure. I will predict that at this point in time, that when it's all said and done, all said and done, excuse me, the Knicks will make the playoffs. And I will say this. If, if I'm the Miami Heat or the Indiana Pacers, the two top teams in the Eastern Conference, the Knicks are a team that I would not want to see. Not saying you're not going to beat the Knicks, but they're a team that could stretch you in a series. And here's the thing. That NBA playoff run is a grind. It is a grind. 16 wins to a championship. It's a grind. So you want to play as little games as possible. You play a team like the Knicks in the first round, instead of getting a sweep, you might have to go five, six. You might have to go six games. You don't want to go six games. An extra game, anything could happen. Anything is possible. You have to play an extra game. Anything is possible. So you don't want that to happen. But I think the Knicks, heck, if the Knicks could, right now you look at them, they're six games behind the fourth-seeded Toronto Raptors, four games behind the fifth-seeded Washington Wizards. If they can get to the fifth spot where they play a team like Toronto in the first round, if they can get to that spot and they play the Raptors in the first round, and they could win that series, and then, who knows? Then they can get to the second round, and then they're going to have to play either. Well, if they get to the second round, they're the fifth seed. They'll have to play Indiana at this point in time. So that's what they would have to do. But this season has been a disaster for the Knicks. And Mike Woodson, at this point, he has made it this far. And I'm thinking, unless the Knicks go fall off the table, Go, you know, let's say, I think he'll be able to finish out this season for the Knicks. I think he'll get through this season and all bets may be off moving forward for Mike Woodson, Mike Woodson and the New York Knicks and his future with the New York Knicks. Before we get out of here, I, was, I found a stat that was very interesting um, in terms of the Super Bowl, going back to that now. Do you know that Funny stat that the Denver Broncos are 0 2 in the Super Bowl against African American quarterbacks. <laughs> Do you know that the Broncos, I guess we, we should have thought, I mean, here's the thing they got blown out in two Super Bowls against African American quarterbacks. Doug Williams put a number on them, and Russell Wilson put a number on them. So the Denver Broncos are 2 0 against African American quarterbacks. It doesn't mean anything, but it was just an interesting stat that that interests me. Maybe it doesn't interesting doesn't interest you the way it interests me, but that was an interesting stat to me. The Denver Broncos are two and zero against African American quarterbacks. It's kind of fitting. This is Black History Month, so it, it is kind of fitting that uh, that I thought about that. It, it, it just came to my mind, and I saw it. Someone tweeted it out, actually, and I saw the, saw that. And I was like, wow, that that is uh, interesting. And then 
because they've been outscored in those playoffs, in those Super Bowls against African-American quarterbacks, 85 to 18. 85 to 18 in two Super Bowls against African-American quarterbacks for the Denver Broncos. Something to think about. Move for. I want to thank Willie Rowe for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForGant. Hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash GoForGant, G-O-F-O-R-T-G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. For everybody here at GoFort, we hope you have a great week. See you later. Take care. Bye.